Give me the juice. Give me the rice. Give me the jam. Give me the juice. Give me the rice. Give me the jam. 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 Cheers to that. Cheers to that. What are you drinking there? Ah, uh, what is this? Some Griffintown bullshit. Um, oh, this red ale. I don't know. Kind of like a Depener multi pack. They're on sale, so hell yeah, good old Coors guy. Yeah, we're enjoying the uh, the Call of the Rockies, as it's called. The light Call version. the Rockies. But uh, mm. I'm joined today on the Betaverse by Nolan Daniel White uh, in my own Montreal, Canada. And for those who don't know, uh, you've been featured on such places as Esquire, United Kingdom, Australia, GQ, and of course, TikTok and Instagram as the leading, well, I don't want to pigeonhole you how would you describe your your presence on the internet here oh i have no idea i i i do my best to help people find things that they'll like that i also like i guess which generally falls in clothes fashion and only clothes and fashion are the same thing uh watches fashion interior design i would say yeah yeah you really cover a uh, a broad spectrum of uh, male grooming and appearance. Uh, some call <laughs> you the Gen Z luxury watch, TikTok expert, but then that is, uh, it couples in with all this fashion, fashion, design, etc. cetera. Uh, so very exciting because uh, we do pride ourselves on the Betaverse and talking to, we've talked to military industrial TikTok and also... Uh, comedy, angry yelling guy, TikTok, and now we have yes, uh, fashion and the arts of living luxuriously. So, not only that, uh, you hail originally from Windsor, Ontario. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, the capital of of design, of style, <laughs> of suave excellence, second only to the Cote d'Azur and Milan. <laughs> is Windsor, Ontario. Yeah, yeah. It's often referred to as the Milan of Canada. and It is. It is, really. I mean, Milan is really kind of more referred to as the Windsor of Italy. <laughs> this is very true. And it's something um, I'm ready to say. I know a lot of Windsorites, Windsoranians, uh, who make their way uh -huh. to Montreal, as well as various other places in the world. And um, you guys all and gals get a unique, uh, there's definitely something in the water down there besides like, uh, what Lead? heavy minerals. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> you all, you all kind of like find your own creative voice is what I've noticed. 
uh, not to shout out Windsor too much, but it is the mm-hmm. case. I've, uh, do you think there's any, have you noticed that as well? Or is, were you just like, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think you're right in that it's the people that leave because when you go there and like, or when you go back there, in my case, you know, there's there's definitely a, a lack of of any kind of, uh, you know, you get a feel for a city, um, and that's often you know through creative mediums. You know, you know New York music when you hear it, you know Montreal art when you see it. Um, Windsor doesn't really have much much of an identity um creatively so i think the people that really forces a lot of people to make it themselves and then also leave because in order to be able to express that or make a career out of that or be you know or or have people look at it and kind of understand what you're talking about um then you kind of have to leave so it's the people that do manage to pry themselves away from the icy grip of windsor that yeah i think i think there's it creates something mm-hmm. and um there is a it does there seems to be a siren song or else it just occurs unintentionally that sometimes you guys get drawn back a few of my friends uh, shout out to jacob and martin in particular uh, but i call the windsorites the boomerang boys sometimes because <laughs> they wind up having to go back for temporary reasons whether to like recharge or uh, refinance Mm -hmm. but often uh does lead to it's just temporary like i know martin is now in tokyo uh has performed as bride as a soundcloud rapper before but yeah lots of uh lots of neat neat things happening um can you describe how your exodus occurred or your extradition yeah, I guess it was, um, <clears throat> you know, I went away to school and that was not something that was as common as it would be in Toronto or London, Ontario or Ottawa. Like a lot, most people, I think probably 95% of my graduating class stayed in Windsor um, because it's, you know, it's so isolated, um, you know, and a lot of people you know, University of Windsor gives away great scholarships. And, you know, if you get like above an 85, I think they'll give you like five grand or something like that. If you get above a 90, they'll give you 10 grand. If you get above a 96, they'll give you like 20 grand. So like basically, like you can almost pay your tuition with scholarships sometimes. So like, there's a lot of good reason for people to stay. Um, But I knew I like had to get out or I wouldn't make it through my degree. So I went away to Queens um, and only made it three years there before I just, I switched to my BA and, and ran with that. Um, because, you know, I was able to, to find a living before, uh, leaving school. And then from there, it was just like, okay, where do I go from now? You know, New York seemed like a really fun idea, but like the logistics of getting there was a, you know, and, and being able to stay there legally, uh, was a whole thing, uh, which I was not prepared to take emotionally or financially uh, so i need to like hire an immigration lawyer and stuff and i looked at toronto like really seriously like even put in like you know submitted a rental application for a place lost it because some guy bid 250 dollars more per month than oh, me man. and then that's when i got fed up with toronto like fuck that i'm not going there calgary was out of the question vancouver is even more expensive than toronto and that left 
Montreal. So, you know, I, when I moved to Montreal, I did not know a single person. I hadn't been to Montreal since I was maybe nine years old. Um, I had no idea what to expect. And I just said like, all right, fuck it. You know, this looks affordable enough and fun enough. Um, and it's, yeah, it's definitely like exceeded my expectations, but I think that it was just like, I'm not going back to Windsor. I'm not (laughs) going back to Windsor and I'm not going somewhere that's similar to it. AKA like London or Ottawa or, you know, staying in Kingston or, you know, something like that. Not, uh, not very good options. And, um, and there's not a lot in in Canada. (laughs) Yeah. Like I would, um, I strongly believe Montreal is the best best city to live mm-hmm. here in Canada if if someone I agree. finds themselves in here um, just because of it is near New York and yeah Toronto is not only expensive but well mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of people listen in Toronto shit. <laughs> yeah yeah you've it seemed there's two Toronto's if you're from Toronto it seems doors open up but they do mm-hmm. uh, I mean I love Toronto for sure mm-hmm. I love Toronto but like if I just think living there, like for the price, it's so insanely expensive. Like if you can, if you can figure out a good situation or if you're like grandfathered into some 10, you know, lease that was signed 15 years ago, like you're doing good. Um, but yeah, it's just like for what you got to pay, you can't really have that much fun. Whereas here, like there's definitely a bit more, a little more, bit more leeway budget wise. Yeah. Yeah. You can drink outside, you can sneak into construction mm-hmm. sites the Italian mafia controls everything. Um, and there's other mafias too, if you get bored of that one, but they do, they minimize the, um, the petty crime. Well, I don't know if the mafia does, or it's just, you know, good, uh, good, honest French personalities that it's less, Mm -hmm. uh, less hectic than other, other cities I've noticed. But when you say less stabby (laughs) at Queens, you said you figured out financially uh, you had some means of income. Was that the start of your online empire or that was a side hustle you were doing? Yeah, that, that was mostly the, uh, and, and I mean, at the time, like I was not making enough money off it to leave when I did. Um, I just kind of thought that I would, or I, I guess it was the kind of thing where like, it, it was a bit of a catch 22. Like my, my, you know, foot was on one side of the ice where I had to basically be able to put more time into it. That being me not being in school in order for it to make the money. So I saw the potential there. I knew people that were making enough money to feed themselves. Um, and I got there and then I also, you know, managed to find a, a job I could do in the creative industry working with, um, my mentor Aaron Levine in a more like advisory role uh, in the fashion industry. So that that was kind of like I knew I had a stable means of income, like not anything crazy, but enough that I could like take this risk. Um, and that's what kind of led me to switching my degree, leaving a year early, and then and then going. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Aaron Levine, which is interesting because that I was already following that guy and i know another someone with almost the same name who is in um was in computer programming and i was like oh it's aaron oh not a guy in a band no no (laughs) uh but yeah who is this why am i following this guy 
Uh, I follow a lot of, yeah, okay, bearded guy. Lots of, oh, yeah, rag parade, all these. He's definitely, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, who is Aaron Levine? Because, uh, <laughs> He's a sick time. dude. He's my older brother. He's um he's he's fashion Rick Rubin. Mm. Yeah, he's fashion Rick Rubin. I think Rick Rubin would not be offended. I usually just see him in like a loincloth, and uh, he's pretty. Uh, <laughs> he's abandoned the uh, the physical accoutrements mostly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's transcended, but you know, Aaron's Aaron's uh, you know, like uh. I think he's a genius. Um, he's incredibly humble, very generous, very loving person, um, very gentle person, but headstrong. And yeah, he's, you know, an advisor for fashion companies. He kind of worked his way up. Um, and now has you know, gotten himself in the point where he can just kind of consult on the projects he likes to. And, you know, I help him along with that, but he's taught me a lot about kind of the way, the fashion industry works technically and also, you know, what can be changed about it and, and kind of his personal approach, which I think is kind of unique. Okay, cool. And um, would you say when it started, because um, and of interest, like I'm someone who's spent a lot of time on the internet nerding out in various communities, like record collecting the old punk scene uh-huh. and like, metal band black metal tapes books all these things where there are these kind of especially in tiktok or instagram or wherever there are all these communities that like obsess over niches political theory being one of the uh (laughs) the least profitable or like just being a moron (laughs) posting memes like nothing that really monetizes um so it is always neat and especially for the kids at home too who similarly are on the internet all damn day uh, it's not often that we run into folks who have capitalized on it as well as um, I recognize you because you had the uh, the capital Boro jacket on. And I was like, oh, we got a, <laughs> a duper. He's on Reddit repros or whatnot. Like, no, <laughs> this is the real deal. Um, but I'm sure it began from humbler means. And was that, would you say your first nerd out or a goon session was like was it watches was that like the initial interest or not not even yeah 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 watches was was like the og goon sesh like i we got into them when i was like 11 and could not like even think of affording the watches i was interested in like i would just rock up into like a jewelry store like let me look at the rolexes give me, give me one of those. Let me get my grubby little hands all over one of those. Um, and it was actually, it was funny because like all of the salespeople were so nice. And when I look back on it now, it make, it makes sense. I never really understood it at the time, but like they would, they pull out everything. They pull out the shit they had in the back because they knew I was genuinely interested about it. And I was asking them questions about it that like they didn't even know the answer to. Um, and so they saw, I was like genuinely in love with this stuff and they would pull, yeah, pull out the really special stuff. They would give me books. They would give me like pens, like whatever, like, you know, tchotchkes they had. And I realized now looking back, it's like, it's because they dealt with dickheads all the time. Like it was just like whatever the 2012 equivalent of a crypto bro was coming in and wanting to like 
spend a bunch of money to make their dick look big. And then here was just this like little little twelve year old who was just into it, you know, for the love of the game, and and they like you know really enjoyed that. So that that like that was the original geek out. Um, and then I started just by like you know the first watch I picked up was like all the money I'd saved from uh, from delivering the Penny Saver magazine or Penny Saver newspaper, and and then some like Windsor Life magazines with it. I spent all the money I'd made that summer on a little like Tissot I found at St. Lawrence Market in Toronto. Um, and then I would always be looking on eBay and then I would like flip them every once in a while and kind of like started learning how to like tinker with them a bit. I never got good enough to really like, I, I ruined more watches than I fixed, <laughs> you know, but like that, yeah, that was the original, the original thing that I just nerded out on. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Cause it was sort of, I remember like Rolexes are always like that mainstay, like symbol, mm-hmm. symbol of wealth or whatnot. And I never really thought about them too hard, but my dad did get to this phase where he was obsessed with like, um, what do you call mantle clocks from like the forties. Yeah. And he liked these radium ones. It was like glass with radium in the middle Yeah, and started this like weird rep- watch repair shop in the basement with just all these cogs and i was like well my weird old man is like tinkering with these gears and sprockets and he's not rich he doesn't have a wrist or like his wristwatch is like a a digital one uh Mm when then he got the the like the samsung apple watch with mickey mouse flipping the bird and i just always thought like well the rolexes are like it's not all that same crap but it was like super small machine operated uh-huh. all that stuff and then it wasn't till recently i was like oh shit there's all these like <clears throat> dead grandpa watches from the 30s and they're like under sometimes under 100 bucks and you can get all these weird ass things uh-huh. so it's like those are the kind of ebay like things i'm like oh that's crazy but this has been going on for a long, a very, very long time. Um, would you say that you were, are you, yeah. Cause like, are there a lot of younger folks coming up? Other zoomers as yourself, like 20, early twenties to mid twenties doing this stuff. Or are you still kind of like one of the old, youngest ones in it? Like in watches specifically or more just like content creation? <clears throat> uh, let's do both, but starting with watches. Yeah, watches, there's, like, I'm noticing it more and more, and I think that's what, like, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, to take a step back, like, my, I think my overall approach to content was, like, I saw a lot of gaps, and not, like, it's not just, like, I saw a lot of gaps between communities, specifically the ones I cover, which is the watch community, fashion community, and interior design. I noticed with the watch world, a lot of them dress like shit and generally have really fucking bad taste other than the watch, other than their watch taste fashion world. A lot of people are wearing like, like sometimes they have okay taste in watches. Sometimes they just like, don't want to spend the money, which is totally fine. But like you mentioned, like there are some cool ass 1930s grandpa watches you can pick up for like, you know, less than your, you know, number nine jeans or whatever. And then interior design world. I mean like, and also on the, you know, fashion people, a lot of times it's like, dude, you spent $3,000 on a coat and you don't have a bed frame or like your, your (laughs) sheets are polyester 
and your your fucking shirt is silk like get your shit straight and and upgrade consistently across your lifestyle you know um it's like that was kind of my approach um or what i wanted to accomplish and it's one of those things that i do believe that like if you can afford to be into one one of these things you can afford to be in all of them consistently if you are patient and you're willing to learn about you know like where where you can spend your money um and how to spend your money and what to spend on first um but with watches um yeah i think a lot of it comes from like the intrigue the general intrigue of like the fashion community and those guys kind of getting a look at watches and being like okay what's this new thing that i can kind of latch on to and of course, in some people's cases, what's this thing I can latch on to, you know, feel like I'm better than everybody else <laughs> than everybody else about or, or weaponize the information I have um, like to, you know, to seem seem like I'm sicker than you. But I think, yeah, there's a lot of young dudes getting into it because it shares the same, you know, interests or it, it shares similar um, characteristics to like designer clothing or artisanal clothing where there's a very specific way of making something and there's a story behind it, or, you know, it's a vintage piece and, you know, there's only so many of them or it was made for this purpose, but you know, now that's changed, whatever it might be there. I think there's a lot of commonalities along it. So I'm seeing a lot of young guys get into it and then content creation in general, like, yeah, there's definitely a lot of kind of guys and, and girls and they's and them's doing, what I do, um, which I think is great to see because I think it's kind of democratizing, you know, coverage of, of fashion and, um, taste a bit more because, uh, you know, if the, if the public, um, you know, masses, yeah, if the masses agree with it and fuck with it, then it's going to get support, you know, rather than, it being a little more disconnected and, and laggy with that. Mm-hmm. That's very long winded. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. And then, um, that sums it up well, because yeah, as you said, uh, like covering all things broadly and equally, and, uh, we'll get into that as well too, because, uh, yeah, being an older generation than you and whatnot, it's, what I do remember is like, like I was really into bands and playing music and mm-hmm. shit. And then like different cities, you would notice it more too. Like where I was in Edmonton, there was like the one cool clothes store. And then Toronto has like five cool clothes stores mm-hmm. or whatnot. So there would be people, there'd be like skater people. And then like someone who's like, Oh, I'm going to dress cool. Or like the people that would work at those stores. And then they would know a bit more about all that stuff. But people would generally have like, the uniform that kind of was with the city or with the subculture. It was usually like, Mm -hmm. like it was common enough. Like people would know their thrifting shit. Uh, People would start knowing like which Levi's to find and whatnot, but yeah, people rarely made it to like watches and no one, no one made it to a bed frame. That was just some like, that was some like (laughs) suspicious, suspicious territory. But you're a fucking cop. If you got a bread bed frame. Yeah. 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 Definitely not a noise musician, but, um, that is, <laughs> I think, cause what it is underlying, um, the content that you are creating, what I found very interesting from like a film 
making perspective and whatnot is I like I saw your Instagram. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is like cool. I get it. But your TikTok videos are like it's like a YouTube video essay presence, but smashed into mm-hmm. like that thirty second point and way better wow. than the usual. The TikTok stuff I find so funny is where it's some guy with like the green screen. It's like waving around. He's like, here, I'm talking about a Disney show I saw. And like all this, like, (laughs) it's just like the thing. But yours is like very calculated and whatnot in this way where it's like, I'm like, wow, this is like a YouTube video, like with the same level of presentation as these people who have with like 10 years of YouTube smashed in this very consistent. Like right now, this guy. Traplor Ross has just done this King Vaughn, the rapper, serial killer, drill expert, this video that's like, it got like 10 million views in like six days or something, but it's like a style of content coverage they've honed where it's like long form hours and hours and hours. And it took them years and years and years, but you've come to TikTok with this kind of ready made. And I feel like it's what's put you at like you have as of this moment, it'll probably continue to go up, but you have like 200K on TikTok, uh, 120 on Instagram. Unless I'm wrong, you can correct me. But I'm how? Six. I'll All take right. 120 though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> by, the time, by the time it's out, you never know. But that part is know. what's interesting. And that <laughs> is like, have you thought about or tried doing it with YouTube first? Or like what led you to get that? streamlined with it yeah i think like like that's a very a very good observation that like i I, nobody's ever asked me about before but yeah i think um it i i didn't really take much of my inspiration when i started on tiktok from tiktokers because i didn't see the content that i wanted on tiktok it was more from youtubers um so i definitely did like i i would say my format came more from that kind of video essay idea and then okay how do i trim off all of the fat from this um so that it is just poignant information because you know people's attention spans are tiny and when you're not you know consciously clicking on a video to watch it but rather just coming across it you have to really grab somebody so yeah i I definitely applied that um i'd say i i took the video essay format more from YouTubers and then found out where to trim the fat from TikTokers from looking at, you know, other people and seeing, okay, what, what did they get rid of? What pieces of information are key to keeping people on the line? Um, Cause otherwise, you know, people might not stick around long, no matter how good your message is, no matter how useful your information is, people might not stick around long enough to hear it. Um, so that was was kind of like the main approach i would say yeah and like semi-consciously like i don't wanted this to come off like i was some like puppeteering like i i just found i pinballed my way into this format it was not like a a, you know savant like in the editing room you know crafting some beautiful format that would work and skyrocket me to two hundred twenty thousand followers like this was you know, yeah, two years of bumbling about and fucking up and, you know, taking things personally. <laughs> Hell yeah. And was it, was it just like one specific one and it just went blam like overnight or would it, was it more gradual? 
Yeah, like there was, I mean, it was just a series of, of those, you know, like, because the thing is, and I've observed this, is like anybody who has like the one, most of the time, you can't keep up with that. It's like, you know, it's like a band, you know, like mm. if you're a one hit wonder and you're and you're you went gold with like your fucking hit single and nothing else has done shit or like that's what you first came out with and you go gold following that up is hard really really hard and you and most people can't whereas like getting you know a, some good recommend you know like good recognition like over a you know two-year period a five-year period you you know get a good feature and you maybe like play you know an interesting festival but you're like way low down on the flyer and then like these series of of little interesting things maybe you sell one you know to to jeep for a commercial and that's like a little moment like all of them it you know are nothing is career making in and of itself but there were definitely like substantial moments um and for me those were like definitely there were videos where like yeah it hit two million views and I got 20,000 followers from it. And it was a new audience. You know, there, there were videos where like all of a sudden it was like, Oh, I've got a watch following now. Like it was just something I was posting about. Some of the fashion people found it interesting. Most didn't. And then I had to watch, you know, all of a sudden I had to watch video blow up and then I had to watch audience and then interior design, same thing. I would post about my room and then my room tour video popped off. And then all of a sudden I've got that following, you know? So it was, it was definitely more, um, you know, sedimentary, you know, than mm-hmm. than one big slam, but for sure there were definitely like bigger moments. And then, uh, what was your was your degree at all related? Was it communications or anything like that? It was economics, mm. <laughs> applied economics. And did you uh, did you graduate or you left it to? I graduated. I switched to a BA instead of doing my honors degree. Um, so I have a BA instead of a BAH. Um, and I can go back and finish it. I never will. Um, and I think it was all, I think economics is kind of bullshit, at least the way they're teaching it at, um, at Queens. So yeah, you know, it's like, I've got the piece of paper, um, somewhere under my bed at home, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I got it. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I finished it. You know, um, I know that like, helps my mom sleep easier at night, but probably won't do anything with it. It hasn't applied thus far. Probably won't ever. Gotcha. And then, yeah, is it cause, um, I've talked to people who through TikTok, the monetization program, they've found that, uh, they get some, some dough off it. Um, Luann said it was like, could get like 600 bucks a month or whatnot. And like, she was going pretty viral. She may or may not be an agent of the state as well. Well, it is as a day job and it may or may not be a hobby, yeah. but is it primarily monetized through like, does TikTok do TikTok and Instagram reward you or is it more that leads to outside contracts? I've never received a penny hmm. from meta, from Instagram, from TikTok, not a penny. And then all outside contracts was that situations where you went and found those and said, Hey, look what I can do. Or where you approach. It's been a combination of, of approaching and, and being approached. Um, but yeah, like the name of the, like even, 
yeah, you you have to be a superstar. It's not like YouTube. It's like, and I wish it was, and it should be, in my opinion, because like, it's it's now at the point where like, you know, some platforms are getting really pushy, and they're like, okay, we want you to create, you know, like apparently Instagram just had this press conference or not a press conference, like a private presentation that I know some people were at. Um, and it was for creators and it was kind of like, okay, we're updating our algorithm and this is what we want you to do. This is what you have to do for the algorithm to perform best. Instead of editing out of app and the thing that you're used to, we want you, your video will be pushed more if you use our dog shit in app <laughs> editing Tools, software. Right. And if you do this and if you do that, like it, it's becoming very like demanding despite the fact that you are making content to, for them for free, you're producing value for their company for free. If they didn't have people making content, they would be making $0. They've also got like, I, you know, I'll make a video and then it's like, Hey, can we feature this in like, you know, in the Instagram shop? It's like, am I getting a cut of those sales? Like, am, otherwise it's just free game, which I mean, like that is a lot of what you do in this industry, but it's a little, like there's a bit of a sour taste in my mouth where it's like the only money that has come from this has been me going out and finding it despite the fact that I've produced a lot of value, you know, for the, the same way that if you're posting shit on Spotify and it does well, you're going to get a cut of that. It should be a bigger cut, but you are going to get a cut of that. YouTube, same thing, you know? Yeah. Well, and, uh, YouTube does seem to, and, uh, have the most like, I'll see the most delivered to those people who are making things yeah. on YouTube. If you follow like people can live off of it. Mm -hmm. And is that something where have you made a YouTube channel? Have you like experimented with it or is it? Yeah. Yeah. A bit. It's just like the time commitments huge, you know, like it's a, it's a, if I, if I want to make a video a week, it's 12 to 14 hours a week. Hmm all in all like from from city like thinking of what the content is kind of loosely structuring you know and formatting a video filming it editing it it's yeah like it's a big chunk of time i have so much respect to, for people who do it if i were just doing content creation on its own i would do it um but it's just like too too much squeeze too little juice that makes sense. unfortunately because i do enjoy it when i have done it i have really enjoyed it like having a longer form piece where I don't have to trim the fat on off of everything and where I can be a little more, you know, a little more myself um, is really nice. But yeah, it's just the way the chips fell. Is it more than that? Those uh, career opportunities that you're pursuing are the more like traditional inside the fashion world of like consulting or brand representation and things like that? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where like, and I think you see a lot of content creators do this at some point in their career, whether it's like starting a, you know, another company or, you know, starting a media comp company where they're bringing people on instead of making as many videos themselves. Like you saw like Philip DeFranco do, for example, or you're like Magnus Ronning and you start a clothing label. It's like not everybody wants to be pigeonholed into like, making content forever you know like that idea of like fuck if i if i really put all my weight on this i might be doing this for 10 years 
and I might not really have much else to go off and do. The, the only people that have really just like made content until they didn't is the people that like made so much goddamn money that they never have to do anything again in their life, which I'm so far from. If I reach that point, awesome. But like, I'm not counting on that. And I'm also not counting on the fact that I, that I would want to make, I'm not counting on wanting to make content forever. So that's kind of the idea. And I also, I mean, I, I do really enjoy that work and it's something that I never considered before when I was in school, cause I didn't think I'd be able to break into it. And then when I did, I, I saw that as a more realistic opportunity, I guess. Right. And yeah, yeah. Coming, um, with an economics background and that focus and whatnot. And then, yeah, I would say the more so the, the people, uh, we've talked on here are, are like a lot more, it's an artistic side project or side hustle or the, or it's an arts degree mm -hmm. and Lord knows we're not going to do anything with that. We're dropping out, etc. And is it when you see that it's like working in the way it is, financially is there is there a hidden uh artist where you're like oh i have always wanted to make like citizen kane or the bicycle thief or something like do you yeah. have a film yeah. approach i don't know if it's a film approach um i think like i see it more artistically um within fashion although i mean like and i think for that it's just because i I haven't maybe granted myself the license to see myself as like, uh, you know, someone, someone who, who could make a good film. Um, but yeah, like I definitely have that kind of itch where I'm like, uh, I, I want to make something and I want it to lose a lot of fucking money <laughs> because it's really good because it's so good that it can't make money, you know, or like, I want it. I want that, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, because so much of what I create is inherently commercial. Um, and even though, like, I know it's 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 to help people, like, because a lot of people don't know where to look for good shit and I want to put them onto stuff, there's definitely a part of me that wants something that that is more, like, expressive. Um, but in terms – and I think I'll get there, but I'm, like, my foot's hovering over the gas pedal with mm -hmm. that um but i'm gonna have an opportunity like i'm going to germany um in in the latter half of june and it's for like an artist residency which oh wow don't ask me why they gave it to me <laughs> um but it's 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 in this little like i mean it's in this little watchmaking town um in germany and so that's i think kind of why but it's like they're giving me two weeks and like access to their audiovisual equipment and some of the manufacturers in the town. And they're like, you know, we want to see what you do. And I've just kind of been thinking like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like this is something where like I can create something and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to get views. It doesn't have to, you know, be according to some companies, you know, ad department, like it can just be what I want it to be. And I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do for it yet. I'm really daunted by that idea, but I'm like really excited for that, I guess. Hell yeah. That's awesome. To, so to answer your question, yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, 
That's good to hear. And uh, that's very cool. So with that artist residency, did you, because I do know a lot of people that uh, apply for those, did they reach out to you or did it pop in your head like, oh, maybe I should uh, apply for these? It, yeah, it was, I would never apply to it myself because I would feel like such a dick <laughs> for doing that. <laughs> um, but it like, but they, yeah, I'd worked with this company before. It's Nomos Glazuta. Um, and they're a really cool watchmaker. And they essentially like they have this like church that they um renovated into like a little apartment kind of thing um and they like invite artists out for these two week periods and and it's always a wide variety or a wide variety like sometimes it's a musician painter sculptor it's been you know cinematographers it's been whatever um and they brought the idea up to me of like, Hey, we have this spot. It hasn't been filled. Um, you know, we were just going to kind of leave this, but like we, you know, we'd like to invite you out. And yeah, that, that kind of is what opened the door to that opportunity. So I think like, yeah, it'll be a good chance to explore what I can do without like the, the normal restrictions that I'm, I fall under. So, yeah. Hell yeah. And that is, um, hell yeah. I feel like that's a right point to get into because I'll say, uh, I won't, uh, pigeonhole the average betaverse listener, a term someone could read in between the lines. When I say a lot of our listeners have a, a rich inner world, uh, the term could be on a, a spectrum of sorts in where I keep wanting to try, trying to find someone who's like, uh, in the online model train world. But I think the online watch world can be just as interesting with the history of watches, but there's also the more general in which we can give like general fashion style tips because you do Mm -hmm. do, not only do you focus on like the super crazy rare things, but like how people can get started. If someone wants to get into like fragrances or how to Mm -hmm. have decor as a young person or person who's like, gosh, my room looks like hell. How do I fix this up? But before that, I was I did want to get into the super specific watch stuff because like mm. Switzerland's like the heart of watchery. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And then that is correct. Germany, like France and Switzerland had this weird pairing where that's kind of like the more prestigious. And then Germany also has watch history am i right in appearing in assuming it's like it's not quite the creme de la creme though like it's always or am i wrong there uh you you'd be wrong there germany mm. has got some yeah they, they've got muscle to flex there um i'd say it's like in terms of just general kind of prestige like it's it's not as well known there are just by number more more swiss brands but like there's one brand um alang and son um alanga etsuna or something like that i i always never know how to pronounce it but they make some of the most like incredible pieces ever i got to wear one for a week i was like lent one and it was like their their cheapest like quote-unquote shittiest model which was twenty thousand dollars um, oh, wow. And they go all the way up into the half millions and millions with, you know, a thousand parts fit into something that's like a little bit bigger than a toonie. Um, 
yeah, Germany's definitely got like their they've they've got muscle to flex, but Switzerland generally is just more known for it. But like the Germans can put up an equal fight for sure. Interesting. And so the ones um, you know, rappers are always talking about paddocks, pateks. And I thought mm-hmm. I thought this was like um a newer thing, but it's not. Those are all pretty old. Yeah. Yeah. I've. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Yeah. They've got like, yeah, yeah, no, you're good. You're good. They've, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think I might be wrong. I might be wrong, but I think I'm right. They made the first wristwatch, not the first commercially available wristwatch, but I do believe they made the first wristwatch for, some king in like the 1870s but yeah they've been around the tech's been around i've got one from the late 40s um and they're really really beautiful watches they're definitely like worth it in my they're worth the hype they deserve the hype okay and then uh what about post malone that grubby grubby fun-loving fellow I've seen his uh-huh. watch collections and they're trying to remember the guy's name, but it feels like ones that there's some that like, they're all like gizmo-y and see-through and made of plastic. Yeah. What are those? What's that guy's name again? I feel like it's, a, he's like the Frank Gary of oh, watches. Is it? Let me, let me look up. Um, let me, could it be Richard Mill? Yeah. Yeah. The meal, the Millies. Yeah. So those Dark are shit. fucking bullshit bogus bogus i mean like they're kind of impressive watches like they do like i mean like they just it's the most like fucking like it's it's andrew tate it's andrew tate in a watch (laughs) you know like it's a fascist ass watch um you know like there's like they definitely do some like interesting stuff but they sell for like so much more than the msrp and they're giant and they're ugly and it's just meant like a it's just a fuck like you. a lifted two hundred thousand dollar pickup you know okay um but like not Alberta's a cool finest. fuck you like mm-hmm. there are cool fuck yous you know and that's not one of them what would you put as a cool fuck you a cool fuck you um is like a Like, you know, like a, like a, you know, like Tony Soprano's Rolex day date, you know, like something like that. Um, you know, Elvis wore the Rolex King Midas. And at the time it was just, it was the most gold that you could have on a watch. Hmm. Um, you know, the Piaget polo that, uh, De Niro wears in casino, like stuff like that, where it's like, just the, like, it's a little more, if you know, you know but it's still kind of ostentatious. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I've yeah. sort, sort of figured out is like, there's, there's subtlety to it and that every want, mm-hmm. like it, you can have a stainless steel Rolex or whatever that still costs like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And it could be worth more than the gold version of it. Mm-hmm. And then what about uh how do you feel about flooding, flooding watches where you, Take it bus, to bussing it down. Yeah, bus bust that <laughs> Cartier out. Uh it's um you know, I mean like 
there's a part of me which is always kind of like you know you do you like do what you want um but it also pains my heart to think i mean like honestly most of the time people are doing it to new watches which i don't care about because they make so many of them like oh who cares like someone drilled a bunch of holes in a cartier santos that there are like 10 million of for those who listening who may not know what the beef is with with icing out a watch it's that in order for a jeweler to do it in order for them to set the gems into the watch they have to drill a bunch of holes into the case of it which effectively ruins the watch and oftentimes even though someone may say yeah i spent four hundred thousand on this like iced out ap they spent a hundred thousand on the watch they spent two hundred thousand on the diamonds and the settings or three hundred thousand on the diamonds and the settings my math is off there but then the watch is maybe worth one hundred twenty thousand. whereas right. if you bought one which was covered in diamonds by ap not icebox or tracks jewelers on 47th then there's a big difference there you know like that will sell for as much or more than its msrp and you know you could argue that like yeah that's kind of like oh maybe they're just being elitist that's enough series going off in the background um sorry let me <laughs> no worries we can uh um studio magic too. there we go yeah yeah we'll, we use the power of the post <laughs> um so yeah that's kind of the debate i think you know it's like fuck it do what you want but also don't ruin something that's like gorgeous or special or rare like a you know like you know a nice old rolex or something like that like that it's like protect that that's like you know graffitiing on a rembrandt um but otherwise you know it's like if you want to piss on your you know jeff coon's statue do what you want i don't care oh yeah now yeah but if banksy did it probably be sick put a monkey, <laughs> yeah, a monkey yeah. head on it but then um because it it's obviously like and you kind of relate to car culture or you'll overlap it with it and is it does the level of obsession it's approached, is it like the way how like car guys, it almost feels they're like going extinct. You've just got like Jay Leno, like coated in denim. Just like, ah, here's my 500 yeah. cars that I hang out with. <laughs> and then is that <laughs> like, <laughs> did the watch culture come out of that? Is it like a response to that? Or is it very much those are all in like that? golden age masculinity demonstration kind of thing. yeah I, I know what you're getting at um i'd say with car culture there's less of like that like freak underground that there is with car culture where like you've got just like some 17 year old ripping a box mod and blowing the head gasket out of a subaru like that doesn't yeah, really exist no in the watch, watch world uh, watch turbo like, there's junkies. no watch no exactly or even like bosuzoku where it's like where like they're actually putting insane work into something it's just crazy um but yeah i would say there's definitely an element of it that does it's just kind of that romanticization of like steve mcqueen and james dean and that like 1950s machismo like in the same way that like engineer boots and salvage denim mm -hmm. is you know and like sanferized cotton or whatever like there yeah. is there's definitely a lot of that um and you see a lot of overlap with that like 
a lot of guys who collect vintage Rolexes also collect vintage 911s. Um, but so, yeah, like Porsche I would guy. say I would the Porsche guy. Yeah. But the big difference is, is that like a lot of, I think a lot of the car, car community is often just like, especially that car community that we're talking about is like rich guys LARPing as working class because they want to get their fingernails dirty. Um, whereas like watch people don't do not do their own watches Hmm. as they shouldn't because like it's a very different beast um and like if you fuck it up like like you know like you can you can kind of fuck up yeah like you will you could tank the value of your watch by five to six figures with like the slip of a wrist where if you were trying to work on it yourself if you had a, a watch worth that much whereas with a car it's like yeah no matter what you're working on there is still definitely a bigger margin of error. Yeah. Cause it almost feels like, um, I guess you would like speak with the people more, but like, it seems like it was very became like it, a wristwatch was very mainstream in like almost like pre-war to just post-war mm-hmm. where it was like, you get your retirement one as like a lot of the yeah. eBay ones have the guy's name. It's like happy 25 Inscribed years in the back. Yeah. And, um, so it's almost like, does it feel like it's been revived after like a dormancy almost, or has it continued? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Cause yeah, there was, I mean like there, the big event was the courts crisis mm. and that was like what rocked the, the, um, the watch industry, which was like basically overnight Seiko came out with the first courts movement, which battery powered, more accurate, more affordable, than an automatic watch so like no matter how pristine and exquisite your work was like this shitty little casio would be more accurate than your patek philippe and that's still the case today any ten dollar from walmart will be more accurate than the most expensive time telling mechanical time telling machine um you know so it's like not kind of analogous to like the whole electric car thing like we're reaching a point where it's like yeah it's faster zero to 60 easier to take care of better for the environment you know debatably (laughs) um like all this shit it's like it's just better you know no gears no need for a gearbox yada yada but people still love in the same way that like a prius is on paper better than a ferrari like you know a 250 gto like you know honda civic r is going to be quicker around a track than a $56 million Ferrari, but that's not why people pay $56 million for it. So I think what happened was, yeah, a watch was inherently expensive up until the late 1960s because they had to be handmade, hand calibrated, and were, you know, complex, almost like automatons, Mm -hmm. like they were mechanical machines. Um, and then all of a sudden it was overnight, a technological product, which could be mass produced. And then they were just stripped down to their bare utility. And that's where you see like the Casio calculator watch and G-Shock come from. And then, you know, later down the road, Apple watch. And now I think we're getting back to this appreciation for it. Like you see with classic cars where it's, it's returned to this idea of there's a separation between the utility of a watch and the, you know, artistry behind it and that's why i think people are getting back into giving them as graduation gifts or retirement gifts and i think it's also because a lot of guys won't wear jewelry unless it's a watch so it's their version of like kind of being able to like accessorize a little bit um and have something to kind of geek out on 
in a similar way. Honestly, I see it kind of similar to like the handbag world, you know, where right. like you've got you've got Birkins and and you know rare Chanel bags that you know they're very slight differences, but that could be all the difference and yada yada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those uh the Birkin bags and the Goyards, mm-hmm. but um yeah, and that yeah the little like the literal clockwork like back to the yeah. uh, like Fabergé and the Romanovs and all this mm-hmm. the, like aristocratic appeal of the dainty little um, and back to the ye old times of like extravagance of buying you're buying time in your watch where yeah. it took thousands of hours to carve the little thing mm-hmm. and, and to maintain it. And is it, um, are these watch smiths sort of going extinct? Like is the yeah, knowledge. It's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, they like now if like if you want to be like being a watchmaker is like like get into it if you want to do it because like there are so many watch companies that are like building schools like you go there for free like they'll even like room and board you I oh, think wow. just because they're like we don't have anybody to do this shit anymore yeah it's definitely like kind of a dying art but I think it's seeing a renaissance as we speak. That's crazy. I think that was even like one of the very early NPR podcasts, like the same guys who did that one about this guy who killed somebody and went to jail wrongfully. I think his second one was about he went to this like hillbilly town, in the Appalachians, mm-hmm. and there was a guy trying to repair watches and he was smelting his own gold in the woods hmm. and he made him he made himself mad as a hatter off like mercury and shit like that. <laughs> out in uh his like moonshine sprocket repair shack but that's all like <clears throat> it's interesting because yeah like more and more the further we go into like the digital age there's this rush backwards and there's other mm-hmm. like mundane but recognizable examples where like old video games get very valuable mm-hmm. or yeah the old the old cars are going higher and higher and all this scarcity of like human ingenuity prior to uh, the binary world of ones and zeros. Yeah. Um, yeah. And mass production and planned obsolescence. I think people long for that artisanry mm-hmm. and human touch to something. And now it comes to the zoomers to defend, defend the clockwork yeah. era. <laughs> and that, uh, well now Jeff Bezos is also building the like millennium clock or whatever. Are you familiar with the deep time project? No, what's your God? What the fuck is he cooking up now? So this nut bar named Stuart Brand, who was um, he was part of the whole LSD experiments with the um, okay the government like back in the day. Oh, oh, he was an MK Ultra kid. Yeah, he was adjacent. To, they haven't really verified his involvement, right. just as anyone. But like, like, like Kaczynski, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kaczynski was more of a. Kaczynski would have been like a botched mold, whereas Stuart Brand was like a success story in that mm. he continued to stay in the realms of like Silicon Valley. Just just a very like shrewd, um, one could say like a Rasputin figure, but specifically for right, okay. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> There's a great book about him. It's called From uh, Counterculture to Cyberculture. He also invented TED Talks, which was a neat little oh, shit. Okay. side, which kind of goes into TikTok and like fast video essay presentation. Mm-hmm. But he convinced Jeff Bezos to, in the middle of this mountain, he's spending, I think it's like hundreds of millions of dollars to create a clock that will last until the planet's extinguished. And it's to demonstrate 
the long now, which is Stuart Brand's like, uh, what would you call, what do you call it? Uh, Philosophy. Yeah, yeah, which is like a non secular. It's like a secular worship of eternity. Right. Basically. Okay. And yeah. As I understand, it's like an entirely mechanized, like no machinery, but it's going to be a giant clock and the, it probably, it probably won't come to fruition just knowing how the boom and bust cycles go. (laughs) (laughs) But it's one of those classic, like, you know, great depression, like building a Mount Rushmore, things like that. It's the new, the new era, but that's all. Yeah. Yeah. So like clockwork stuff is very cool. Um, Mm -hmm. There was in the the game Morrowind, the Clockwork City, all these recurring like little perpetual motion machines and things like that. But moving away from watches too, I feel like, and yeah, fashion's there, but interior design's a neat one because like uh, also to be a a young man and interested in that, it's less common. Well, I won't like say that, but it is like neat that you're, you're covering all that. And it's probably the least expected kind of thing for like mm. was that something that what got you into that and then was it were other people doing it or was that another place you kind of like found your niche yeah i think i kind of found my niche there like it was just the idea i mean you know like when i got to around to like the first room i actually got to put together myself it was when i was going into second year university and that's when covid hit so I just like, I knew I was like, okay, I'm willing to put in the time and effort to make this a space I want to be in. Cause I know I'm going to be locked here for a year. Um, so that's when I, you know, like really spent the time kind of like finding inspiration and then like going and hunting for shit on Facebook marketplace. Um, and it just kind of built out from there. Like then I moved into another room in the house that was bigger. So I had like more room to incorporate stuff. And then when I moved into this apartment, it was like, okay, let me plan the whole thing out. So there was always, yeah, I would say it was always kind of centered around the idea of like, how can I let my space inform how I live my life and like my general disposition and how I want to feel day to day. And then does your, do you see yourself Cause yeah, I've seen, I've seen your like tours and whatnot. Do you see it as it's kind of like rustic, like Americana or what's your, how do you describe your vibe and all that? Shit. I don't even know. Like I hate the word, <laughs> I hate the word bohemian cause it's been co-opted by like fucking urban outfitters and like anthropology where it's just this, like, it's like the, like, I, no, I don't live in on the inside of a Mandy's. Um, but like, I think there's definitely an element of that. I want it to feel like a, like an opium den, but like a bit brighter, but I've always kind of liked that look of like, yeah, a bit, a bit Moroccan, a bit like kind of Marrakesh-y, but also with a little hits of like European Danish design, but like not, not too much because I think that gets a little like sterile and Mad Men-y. Right. Is it, um, are you afraid of ever hitting the a word and getting to like appropriation territory. Do you have like little sets of rules as far as that goes? Yeah. I mean, like I, I don't worry about it too much. Cause I think like people are a little, you know, I mean, I mean, for one, like it's, I'm always focused on like appreciation, I guess. Um, 
and it's just like little elements, you know, like I have, I have, you know, Persian, um, rugs in my apartment and it's like, everybody's had Persian rugs in their apartments since forever, you know, like Persian rugs are a thing. Like everybody's widely enjoyed that. Um, but like, I'm not going to be putting up like, you know, symbolic regalia <laughs> around my place to like try and simulate an environment, you know, like, cause I also think that's like, if it's not true to me, then it's, it's whack. So like, I'm only going to do things that are true to me. And if they're true to me, then it's not appropriative. I think, you know, like if it's something that I truly care about and know about and can, and respect, then it's not going to be appropriative. Um, because I'm not like just, yeah, going around and like trying to like grab shit from other people's culture, I guess. Right. Cause I definitely like, I see that and, and understand that that's like, there, there is an understandable line to be drawn and I've seen people cross it. <laughs> and it gets a little like costumey. <laughs> what about uh, what about Kitsch as a Susan Sontag or not like Tiki Bar mid century? Yeah. Like, well, I guess Mad Men kind of covered a lot of that too. But I think it's kind of funny. Like it's again, I'm like I'm I'm a big. I I think humor is really important in aesthetics, um, and I think there's not enough room for it across the board. But I think especially within like fashion interior design, it's like overall, if you if you can manage to craft a, a feel and an environment, then that's awesome. And what I think makes that even better is having like little hits of something where it's like, that's fucking stupid and really funny and like never get rid of that. Like I'm looking at like the, you know, like just along this like stack of like fairly tasteful books i have just hidden behind it you oh know, hell like yeah a little the black treasure like keys. that <laughs> is that a is that vinyl or is that like a calendar oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it's 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 vinyl. <laughs> all right are you into are you uh an expert on the hi-fi systems as well like does it i not yet not yet i've done my research and i haven't gone into that yet because i've will go broke. That's a real money pit. Yeah. Yeah. I have enough money to, I have enough things to spend money on right now. And I know that, yeah, yeah, fuck. Like I know that that will be a problem. So I'm leaving that until I hit 30. Yeah. Then you can get into modular synthesizers and all the other. uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, it's going to be a problem. So what's your advice for the, uh, you know, the uncultured boor out there who, or maybe they've, you know, they've gone and they've worked out one bicep or so they know their watches or their, uh, their Rick Owens or their Maison Margilia. But what do you think? What's, what's your advice for like somebody to get started? Do you think it should be balanced out? Is that possible? Is that revisionist? I think, you know, like take one thing out of take, like go towards, go with your gut, you know? Um, and like, go towards what's interesting you right now. Like I, I also think like, you don't have to be in everything. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I know I went on my little rant where I'm like, rah, 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 don't have polyester sheets and you know, a silk shirt or whatever, but like, you know, it's okay to like, just have different priorities. Um, I think there's definitely like a baseline where it just makes sense to like, where if you have the money, you know, you should like, yeah, get nice sheets. You know, like that's something you're going to use every day. That's going to, elevate your lifestyle and that's going to last you 10 times longer if you invest in that like sure but back to the original question yeah my advice would be like start with one thing start slow and like don't be afraid to be stupid and look stupid um 
and like go into it with the with the expectation that you're going to fuck up and that's where like the excitement is going to come from you know like i've bought a lot of bad clothes i've worn a lot of really shitty outfits i've spent money too much money on watches that ended up being like cobbled together parts and you know i lost money like a good amount of money on shit like that um you know or i've just made i've made bad decisions um or i've said things thinking i was really confident in them and and ended up being proven wrong in humiliating ways um and there's nothing you can do to prevent that um and by accepting that you are going to have a much easier time navigating a new interest you know so like just own the fact that like yeah maybe your outfit is shit but like if anybody says that to you like fuck them and if they don't then like they don't have the you know they're too cowardly to say anything so fuck them even more there you go it's the journey not the destination um bingo what's the uh what's the top five summer fashion hits what do you think is going to be big top five big trends Mm -hmm. uh uh business core uh <laughs> what's what's business core i don't fucking know it's yeah, just, just, it's just make some buzzwords TikTok. yeah 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 uh lobbyist core um no i don't know this summer um i'm personally personally because I'm, I'm looking to like revamp my summer wardrobe a bit because uh yeah i just want to um i think like straight fit like poplin pants like very thin cotton but not quite linear like like still kind of crisp kind of cote d'ivoire i like the idea that i've been looking to pick up some like 80s or 90s dress shirts from like like the christian dior yves saint laurent pierre cardin like you know kind of sexy french shit um but like from the 80s like there might still be a little bit of blow on the collar um that's what i'm looking for um what do you call them um whatever the fuck i don't even i should know the name of this but the belts that are just like they've got like the little little rectangle closure Mm. so instead of an actual buckle it's got like the little but like pops in the hole basically yeah yeah exactly okay like those but like the the real thin ones and like some of the ones like the ones that would have been made by like dunhill you know um shit like that i'm i'm feeling um and what else turquoise like turquoise jewelry set in gold though we've been seeing a lot of silver but i want to see it set in gold um and itty bitty little baby bitch watches there you go um little like little dainty stuff yeah yeah art deco exactly hell yeah and uh sandals bare toe sandals or pedrilles or get the dogs out yeah let those dogs bark let the dogs bark chacos like the hippie uh big sur kind. yeah we could do that we could do that and uh dry cleaning is it bullshit or is it worth it we're just throwing the washing machine Fuck dry cleaning i never do it yeah no dry cleaning <laughs> only yeah. if it's like a suit or like something that i'm gonna pass down to my grandkids right Otherwise, it goes in the wash and God decides how long it's going to. Yeah, yeah. Like, hang dry. Mm-hmm. Fuck a dryer. Fuck a dryer unless it's, like, my socks. Yeah, unless it's my socks. Okay, do you do the, uh, do you use the zero or whatnot in a bucket, or do you always put in the washing machine? 
Yeah, I'll do the bucket for like like stuff I'm supposed to knitwear, salvage denim, shit like that. <laughs> is salvage back? Is it finally back? I think it's back. I think it's back. Yeah. Why not? All right. Well, shit. I think Cosine. <laughs> I think that's more than enough to uh, get our listeners ready, oh, lovely, ready and styling. So, uh, thanks again, Nolan, awesome. for dropping by the Betaverse. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to all the betas. Yeah. In the verse. We uh, <laughs> we all appreciate it. So, folks at home, follow Nolan Daniel White. Nolan White on Instagram. Nolan Daniel White on, uh, did I get that right? Or? Nolan Daniel White on all platforms. NolanDanielWhite.com, uh, .ca, .ru. We got them all. That's a lie. There you are. Any, uh, Thank you, everybody. Any big stuff to watch out for? Uh, there should be. Um, no. <laughs> all righty. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks for dropping by. Dataverse. Dataverse.